0: Guy and I do these trading
1: spaces on Twitter spaces every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We are joined by Danny Moses today. Danny, you guys will know, is our co-host on our podcast, On the Tape podcast, which is sponsored by CME Group. They also sponsor these Twitter spaces. And what do we like to do? We like to talk markets as they're live, as they're going on. We take some questions,
0: and we see what's going on.
1: I'm going to kick it over to you guys. Um, Danny, great to hear you today
0: on a Monday. Guy, take over, buddy not a lot going on. I mean, the S&P's flat. It was down at one point. It was up at one point. But I'll tell you, Danny, what what I find just to be, again, fascinating. And as you know, we've been together over a year now doing these things. I'm wrong a lot about a lot of things. But one of the things we've been saying for a while is two tens are going to narrow probably to about 30 basis points. I thought it would be in the form of two-year going to 1.5%, 10-year sort of easing in around one8 What I really thought was just amazing on Friday, and we spoke to this on our podcast, we spoke to it during the week on Market Call, that I thought you'd see this sort of perverse flight to quality if the market sold off in the form of 10-year yields. In other words, people buying bonds as a form of protection or flight to quality, and you saw 10-year yields, I think, went from, what, 205 to about 189, 190, which is, if you really think about... How preposterous a move that is, just to put it in context, how the Fed has totally lost control. And now here we are, I guess, right around 2% again. This comment from Bullard today, Danny, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we, you know, we'll open it up to a lot of questions today. But the fact that the Fed needs to act to maintain, now I'm paraphrasing, any credibility that they may have. Are you kidding me? I
2: think that ship sailed a long time ago, Danny Moses. Yeah, I mean, Bullard is the most hawkish, right, of all the people at the Fed. and So they wanted him on television this morning to kind of calm people down. I don't think he did that, but we're going to get a lot of other Fed speak this week, right? Brainerd's Friday, Waller's Thursday, Mester's Thursday. We got Fed minutes on Wednesday, which are going to be hawkish because that's from the January meeting, right? We got PPI tomorrow. So that's kind of the big things on, you know, kind of on the Fed watch out there. But listen, people, I mean, the fact that people are rooting for a little bit of a war so the Fed doesn't go is a little bit horrifying to me. But we're going to continue to see this 210 spread narrow. I think it's just sitting around 40 basis points now. I mean, it's quickly, I believe, that the Fed does go through with their plans as stated. And I am not a believer in six, seven, or eight rate hikes this year. As much as I think inflation is an issue, I think it will create a massive slowdown in the economy after two or three are really implemented. You know, I think we're going to invert. I mean, I I truly do. And so I think this is setting up for a potential slowdown in the economy. I think we'll have certainly some less hawkish data. I mean, I do think there's massive inflation. And look, you don't need to mess around with rates. You can use them as a proxy. But look at Goodyear. Look at Weber Grill. Look at some of these companies that are telling you what a massive impact this is for their business. And again, if you don't pass it on to the consumer, it's not as inflationary, but it hits your margin. So Mm -hmm. your stock goes down. If you do pass it on, good on you but that's going to have you know, a, a, a problem to the consumer longer term. So this is not going away anytime soon. And again, it's not like the market's cheap. So not to reiterate what we always talk about, but if the market's looking for an excuse to sell off, it's going to have a lot of opportunities to do that, I think, in the next coming weeks. So, and you know. I yeah.
0: agree with you. I, you know, again, I find it just amazing how resilient. Look, I, I saw what happened to the market on Friday. But with all that said, the resilience of the market you know, even in the wake of an S&P 500 that's gone from what, I guess, 4818 was the prior high down to 4400. I mean, I can pretty much do that math in terms of percentage. I mean, to me, it's still remarkable that we're here. And, you know, the market isn't taking what I perceive to be a complete change of course, rightfully so, uh, more seriously. Um, I just don't really understand what people see that I don't see, or if it's still this sort of um, passive investing that has still got the market by the, you know, what,
2: this is the greatest environment for stock picking in the, since QE started. I mean, since QE began, I think people realize over time that it was fruitless to try to not, not just short something but it was really predicated on, you know, you know, liquidity coming into the market. And now with it leaving the market or stopping coming in, it is a stock pickers market. And, there's so many opportunities that are going to keep emerging, both on the short and on the long side. So to your point, Guy, passive investing is your friend when flows are coming in. It's not. And we're already seeing issues. And we've talked about this on this forum. We've talked about on the podcast. Fixed income ETFs are a massive issue. And they're a massive issue because of the way that they're structured. And it's not that they're not a great way for investors to express Oh, I'll see if you'll buy this. It's when it unravels and the and the flows come out of a passive fixed income ETF, you have a problem and it's compounded by the fact that the Fed's no longer buying the HYG. So that's a whole nother issue. Well, so then, there are huge opportunities, yeah. Now
0: and let's you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that was on my list of things to break up uh, bring up the HYG, which nobody seems to care about at all. Um, but if you look, I think it's trading like 82 and a half or so today. You probably, yeah, 82.60. I'm looking at it now. And you're like, what's the big deal? And there really is no big deal. I mean, historically, it really doesn't move. And then you have periods of times when it does. Uh, for example, you saw a huge move in September of uh, 2018. I think it was trading about 87 at the time. And then on Christmas Eve, it was trading down to 80. Now, you say if that was a stock, it's not a big move. I hear you. But for this, it's a big move. You obviously saw a historic move in February of 2020 into March. It traded again from that sort of 89 level. And then I think it troughed somewhere around 70 or so, right around there. Now here we are for the first time in a while, Danny Moses, uh, trading off in a, in a way that you could start it, – you can see it, all right? It's discernible. My question to you is, is that a – is that a leading indicator as to what's in store? I happen to think that it is,
2: by the way. It's a leading indicator to people need to look at what they own. And again, you're right. I'm not, even saying, I'm not even out there saying short the HYG. I think structurally, though, when you have something like that move, you can go to their website and look at what's in there, right? You've got some decent corporate bonds, and then you have crap you know, at the bottom. And when redemptions come in, what do you sell? You can't really sell the crap because there's no market for it. So you start selling the good stuff at the top. What does that do? That widens credit spreads, right? It lowers prices. It increases the cost of financing, you know, across the board. So it has implications. People need to look not just at the instrument itself, but what does it actually mean? And again, no one cared when flows were coming in. You could underwrite anything. Triple C's, getting access to money and all this stuff. So, but that has a direct impact on public securities if those are their bonds, right? If that's on their balance sheet. So all these have to be looked at, you know, in, in context of all. And so... It's just an important tool to watch. So look, certainly watch that. And then, you know, yeah, I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but again, back to stock picking, not to pick on a firm, but to pick on a firm. What I thought was so funny last week, not funny if you were long, but uh, funny is that it's not a tech company. And Deirdre, Deirdre Bosa is the greatest. Like, I think she's incredible. But for Max Lefkin to go on Tech Check on on Friday to try to do some, like, you know, soothing over the markets, that was yeah. the whole point. The tech people owned the stock and it's not a tech stock. It's a platform, right? And it's really a credit story. And for them to say, we're expanding our credit metrics, we're going to underwrite, you know, uh, we're going to expand our underwriting metrics. That's not what you want to see when loan loss provisions are moving higher. So I bring that up because I think it's just important for investors to not take things at face value on any of this stuff and just do their own work. And with that, by the way, it's not just about being bearish. It creates opportunity. we got another one coming tomorrow, Upstart, right? Yeah, they don't have a lot of loans on their balance sheet, right? They built this great platform for, for lending. But you know what will happen if those loans start to go bad? Their cost of what the, uh, the, the prices they get for those loans will will go down and their margins will get squeezed. And I don't think anybody's paying attention. And these, by, by the way, Guy, I only bring it up because these are all factors or offshoots of what has happened in this QE world. You were able to build platforms like this. You were able to sell yourself as a tech company like this. And, and they're not. So, you know... Don't look at the analysts that cover the stocks. Do your own work. I know I say that all the time, be the dead horse, but these are just all things I'm watching right I now. I
0: agree so. with you. I happen to agree with you a great deal. And I'll mention this just to mention it. I don't want to harp on this, but on a day where, again, the s and I think right now is flat, the Nasdaq's up slightly. I think the Dow is probably either side of unchanged, maybe slightly. It doesn't matter. The VIX is up um, around 28.5 or so. It's higher on the day, which – you know that's a pretty elevated level for the vix in the in the context of what we've seen over the last couple of years so i just bring that up the other thing i think is worth mentioning oh wait hold on we is, got dan you know i i, 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 I want to just
1: i just want to say one thing about the do your own work cuz it's kind of funny you know a lot of people who blog say that a lot of people who do th- threads on investments say that but i think i think what we're kind of missing here is that nobody wants to do any work, Danny. I mean, like, you know, we all saw the big short. Well, I did, um, guy didn't, um, you know, you guys did a lot of work that no one else wanted to do right in the financial crisis. And maybe that's one of the reasons why there's only, you know, a handful of people that were featured in that book, in that movie who did their own work. I mean, and it's only gotten worse, right? I mean, did you see all those crypto commercials on the Super Bowl last night? You know, no one's doing any work in crypto. I mean, no one's doing any work. You saw the, the E-Trade baby's back. E-Trade baby is back. Um, do you think these yep. um social investing platforms which, you know, I'm all for to be frank, but you know, you know who they are, a lot of them advertise um, are people doing their own work on that? No, they're memeing. And I thought the baby, the E Trade commercial, was funny because it actually made a joke about the memes and stuff. So I just think it's 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 an easy cover your ass sort of thing to say. I'm not saying, Danny, I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying in general. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like yeah. No, no one does any work. Listen, that, that guy, I didn't mean to cut you off before, but I want to get your thoughts on this. But I'm watching last night, and I I did not go. I didn't know what the ads were going to be. I didn't. I wasn't looking to see what they were going to be. I knew there would be crypto. I heard that, but. So funny is I'm short Carvana. I saw an ad. I couldn't be happier that they spent $7 million on that. I (laughs) am short short Coinbase. I saw whatever that thing was. I couldn't be happier they were spending that money. And in the year 2000, right? I know we always draw comparisons. I think it was that Super Bowl. I actually had an investment in a company called com. I don't have to tell you what happened to it. It obviously was it. They paid for a 30-second ad. And I remember after watching it, I'm like, I just invested in that company and they're going to be raising money again because of it. But exact same time, it feels the exact same. And the, 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 you know, the crypto and Larry David, which was my favorite ad, by the way, I don't even care that it was FTX or whatever it was, but yes, sign of the times and, you know, just what people want to see and advertise. But if I'm an investor in these companies, I'm not sure that those things did a lot. You know, obviously they have money to spend and they want to keep promoting it but i was thrilled to see some of these companies that i don't like spending money so anyway no, guy, back to you
0: no with us, and i'm not that anybody gives a shit what i thought was the best out of the night but the sopranos redux as they say was just ridiculously good number one and the i think the first commercial of the night the brothers the one that lost his sight yet they persevered i mean that one was just i mean i'm prone to cry anyway but that one got me the rest of them sucked but not again not that anybody cares And I'll say this as well about doing the work, Dan. I happen to agree with you. But it's not just true in markets. It's true in every facet of life. I mean, how many people, and I'm guilty of this as well, how many people truly do the work in terms of elections to understand what his or her candidate stands for? Nobody is the short answer. And that's why we're probably, over the last decade or so, in the mess that we're in. But that's for another show, I guess. In terms of the market, Danny, what I was going to mention, again, was this, energy continues to be a story and it's you know i'm glad you brought up the fact that there are people out there seemingly actively rooting uh for some sort of conflict which is mind-boggling you know but energy's been a story and the oih last week um had that bit of a reversal on thursday friday i think it traded up and above 245 and now here we are again either side of 240 i still think energy is real I understand why people would say, you know, you buy the rumor, sell the news to the extent that whatever news comes out. What are your thoughts on energy here, Danny? By the way, both Porter and Vinnie uh, have had tremendous calls on energy for the last year or so.
2: Yeah, I mean, now you're, now you're for the first day, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, oil's up, what, like 94 bucks, I think. Uh, West Texas, Brent's 95. And the oil stocks themselves are down. I don't know if people believe, you know— like you had said, guy, higher oil, higher oil prices bring higher oil prices, right, over time, and that will have an impact on the economy. I mean, it's a pure tax on, on, on the consumer. And so the longer these prices stay above here, and I guess the stocks are telling you that they run a little bit ahead maybe and there's some profit taking here. And I think a lot of momentum investors have come into energy in the last couple of weeks I wouldn't sell energy here. I'm not saying to add here, but into extreme weakness. If oil prices stay here, I would probably be a buyer. I still don't. I think that's a sector that's rented by the institutional investor community more than it is invested in. And listen, we'll talk about it again. The ExxonMobil, the Chevrons, like these are these are safe names to be in right now with very good balance sheets that because of the the backlash of drilling and everything, they haven't spent money on CapEx. And so I think... Some of the smaller names are probably not in the OIH and the not in the XLE are probably still undervalued. And I think that's where our friends, Vinny and Porter, have been playing in there to a degree. Wait, so, Danny, you think yeah. large integrated oil stocks are safe because they're balance sheets right here? No, I'm saying that they've been a flight to safety because they've increased their dividends. They're buying back stocks. I'm just saying, look at those things. They're not... They're not that expensive, I believe, Dan. And I'm not saying they're sexy. I'm just saying they've been a safe place. To I know this spot. I'm just saying
1: Exxon ended the year at like 63, since so 78. I, you know, it's I mean, a pretty who, good who, move.
2: Who, yeah, well, I know. I
1: mean, I, I think it's anything but safe here. I mean, in my, my opinion, I think the XLE is probably a massive short. I think your OAH guy just made an epic double top. If it was anything other than an energy-related sort of ETF, you'd be like double top. Um, I don't know. I, I, but Dan, listen,
2: let me just give you a pushback on the Exxon. I mean, I'm just looking at it's a four and a half percent dividend yield rate. I realize it may, may not be important, but that's part of the whether you want to believe it's quality or not. It's a flight to quality, so I think it's getting into that. Bucket so you're for, saying
1: that's more attractive at the ten year at two two percent. Listen, it, I'm, anything, anything above
2: anything that's yielding above treasuries that has potential growth. To, listen. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of these. I'm just giving you the reason why I think that they're up and why they're holding. Well I, well, I mean, that's obviously why they're up. Here's a
1: scenario where let's just say nothing happens in Ukraine. Let's say the situation in China and Taiwan, nothing really happens there. Um, let's just say we're back to some of just this kind of fits and starts of the, the reopening. Let's say nothing really happens with Iran. Um, you got crude oil is probably gonna be back, you know. You know, in the '70s or something, these stocks are literally up in a straight line. The XLE, they come in hard. I mean, oh, I, I, that,
2: I Dan, if the stock, if the oil prices come in, they come in. There's, I mean, not a question. And I, I still think there's inflation that's going to be running rampant in the system. And so, what impact that have? I don't know what the dollar's going to do. The dollar, obviously, if we, if there's any type of conflict to where the dollar will accelerate, that should push oil down. I would think in dollar terms too. So. There's too many variables to even think about. Do you I, think,
1: um, do you think that, that consumer confidence data last week, do you think that's because of inflation expectations or where, where current you know, prices are and lots of goods and services? Or do you think that the consumer is getting a little tapped
2: out here? I think both. I think they're getting tapped out. I think that the cost of everything's going higher and wages aren't keeping up yet. And I think that, again, oil and rates have a direct impact on the consumer, whether they're carrying credit card, bills or whether they're getting a mortgage or what you know auto loans whatever everything's getting more expensive and so the people that haven't participated in the stock market are starting to feel it potentially in their wallet on a relative basis and that's having an impact on confidence and that's this wage price spiral issue also that that could be impacting them when people believe companies believe they have to pay more to hire people it just becomes self-fulfilling across the board and by the way i i don't think the fed's going to go 50 basis points. Do you know the only reason that they would go 50 basis points is so they can have room to cut? I truly I truly feel that they want to get something on the board because they don't know how long they're going to be able to do this. Because, Dan, it becomes self-fulfilling that inflation will slow if the economy slows dramatically. And I believe there's too much debt in the system, right, um, on the corporate and on the federal level to sustain a higher, you know, a, a sustained rate hike. It's just not going to be pretty. And if if, if spreads start to widen, that we're seeing a little bit in credit spreads i mean that that is that is a massive so, re- repricing so you know,
1: I agree. I, so so the idea that that 50 basis point hike, it started kind of making its way through markets a little bit, maybe like a month ago. And then the idea of like some surprise hike. Let me tell you, as long as I've been doing this, anytime that the Fed surprises like that, either an intermeeting or greater than expected, whatever they're doing to combat gets much worse before it gets better, at least in the stock market. Do you guys agree with that? I'm just thinking back to some of those surprise cuts that we saw, you know, um, in 2000, um, Um, you know, some of the stuff that we saw in the summer of 2007, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like um, it doesn't go the way they want, especially in the near term, especially as it relates
0: to the stock market. Well, that's in terms of the stock market, that's probably true. And I hear what you said. Look, I mean, if all those things come to fruition that you said, yes, energy is going to go lower, but, you know, that's a big, that's a big bar to get over. We'll see. What I want to mention, by the way, here, if you have any questions request to be a speaker or whatever the hell you have to do to speak. I'm not sure how that works. And at 5 o'clock today, and for the rest of the week, by the way, Dan and I will be doing our Market Call Live on just about, uh, if you can think of a platform, we'll be on a Twitter, YouTube, uh, Open Exchange. We'll be doing Market Call Live at 5 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week from 5 to 5.30. People seem to be enjoying it at that time slot, so we're experimenting here during the Olympics. The other thing I was going to mention um, quickly, because I think it it is important, is the fact, again, that the the complacency that I continue to see around the Fed, that somehow they think, you know, this Federal Reserve is is going to be swayed by a stock market move. I don't know. I mean, again, I just throw it out there, Danny. I I, I hate to use that term. It's different this time. But they have a real problem on their hands. And by the way, you mentioned wages even though wage growth is improving with inflation running at 7.5%. And by the way, Danny, I think you would agree. Real inflation in this country is probably closer to 11 or 12%. You have real wages, at low as they've been in probably the last 25 years, they're actually negative. So something's got to catch up. And I'm not quite certain what it's going to
2: be, Danny Moses. Well, when Bullard was on this morning, I don't know who it was that asked him, Becky or whatever, begged him to start looking at the stock market. You're looking, right? Just as you're speaking now, look what you're doing, look what you're doing. And as Vinny was quoting the, the great band uh, Chicago, it's a hard habit to break because we, we talked, I've actually talked to him over the weekend about it. People are just addicted and that the Fed's going to quote, have your back and it's going to watch the stock market. And I believe that the three Fed presidents that all left for basically trading and over trading their accounts. And stuff. I think the Fed is now, I didn't think it was the case a couple months ago. It sounds like, feels like now they're going out of their way to make a point that they don't care about the stock market, but we know they do deep down, and we know that a massive sell in the market does have trickle down problems for the economy. Right, it will have a wealth effect. So we're not there yet. We're down. We're still down. Nothing. What? Yeah. What's What's the S and P down? You Eight, know, from from, from percent, right. So, I mean, that's but exactly it never should have been. Yeah. It never should have been where it went to in the fourth quarter. Like we knew, and we talked about it on, on the tape excessively. That that move at the end of the year was just more of a seasonal thing. No one was going to. So I would take out that entire move in the late, late in the year and then look at what it looks like. Right. So I to, to your point, Guy, about the VIX, you know, staying elevated here, it's telling you. And I think people are dancing and hoping a little bit here. But again, by the quality, people like and one name, I just want to highlight, which I picked, which has been down this year that I really like is Walmart. I mean, this stock is on its ass. I mean, it's it's they're going to report, I think, on Thursday This stock looks relatively cheap to me and a a safe place. And they're going to give you a pretty good read on the consumer. And maybe people feel like, to Dan's point, the consumer confidence weakening, oh, that's the Walmart customer, which it might be to a degree. But let's not kid ourselves. Walmart has an incredible ability to squeeze out as much margin as they can from their suppliers. They're making huge inroads in e-commerce against Amazon. And I think this thing's been left for dead. So that's a name that I'm looking at here. I know we're not talking about names specifically here that I'd be buying here in the weakness into that print. I think so,
0: we have Andrew uh, has in the queue to be a speaker. I think Amanda has to demute him or somebody. I don't know how this technology works. Andrew, okay. uh, don't hey suck, Andrew. Oh, don't sorry. suck. Go ahead. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, good. Thanks for having me uh, speak for a minute. But um, you had some big blow ups in the market with uh, MNRA today, uh, Moderna, and um, uh, Goodyear Tire last year. I mean, some of the. Some of the input costs for um, earnings and profit margins, I guess, are an area of uh, great concern as as the rates have gone up. But um, I wanted to get your opinion. I was I was thinking a little defense more defensively on pharmaceuticals.
2: I don't have a lot of exposure, but wanted to get your take on some of the bigger name pharmaceuticals like a Merck or a Glaxo or. Lilly. Yeah,
0: you know, Merck, Merck obviously had that huge move late last year uh, on the back of a couple really great headlines. Then it cratered. Now it's sort of found this sort of equilibrium price, I think around 78 or so. Uh, my wife works at Merck, full disclosure. The one that I've liked the most over the years has been Eli Lilly, which has been in Monster until recently. But the one that I think is going to surprise some people, and it's right up against big resistance is Bristol Myers. So I would take a look at BMY and Moderna, you know, I was a huge Moderna fan for a long time. And then, you know, I guess to the, I got religion a while back and said, you know what, there's going to be some pain here. Now I thought Moderna would stop at around 175 level or so uh, that obviously didn't happen. And here we are, I think what about 138 or something around those levels, which is just pretty rem- 141. I'm looking at it now. So, there's something to miss there clearly, but Bristol Myers stands out to me. And I appreciate that question, Danny, uh, or Andrew, I'm sorry. I think oh, we have- Thanks, a here, Which my sentence have a half a braid in my head. He's gonna wanna talk about cannabis stocks. Yeah, on the, on the topic of doing the work, and this is to uh, Danny, but also to the rest of the field. The uh, cannabis sector continues to get beat. The financials are intact. And it seems like the valuations don't even reflect uh, the current state of affairs, which is a continued federal prohibition. We have uh, Chuck Schumer setting his watch by uh, his uh, helpful tweets, and I say that sarcastically. So,
2: Danny, uh, do the work here. What's what's going on? I would say on a relative basis, for the first time, cannabis has been an (laughs) outperformer over the last. We're just not saying a lot, but the last couple weeks feels like it's it's on a little bit more solid footing. You know, we we saw a deal in the space, obviously, goodness um, being acquired by Verano. Um, I think over the last couple of years, the good operators have started to set themselves apart from the pretenders, and the pretenders have either gone bankrupt or been gobbled up by credit or whatever. I do think we are going to get something in Washington. I think it sounds like it's going to be a combination of maybe you know, uh, some type of pardon bill um, or expungement bill out of the White House and so that Schumer can save face and then do either the Safe Act, the States Act, or one of these things. And so, but to your point, I mean, I don't think you even need that right now as an excuse to own them at these levels. Um, there is not going to be federal legalization happening. And to be fair, I don't think that these MSOs, the ones that, you know, the big names of the world really want that right now, because they're still trying trying to develop, you know, their, their state plan. So, stick with the with the good names. And then I, I see people go back and forth just on owning the MSOS. And I just want to say that a lot of it, you know, that trades on the ARCA exchange, which is part of New York Stock Exchange, right, MSOS. So it's really a lot of the only way that a lot of US investors can play these names. And so it is what it is. But I think that's the best way to express it. If not, you're trading on the pink sheets. And a lot of people can't do that. And let me just end with, you know, I'm sick and tired of the Canadian names being the proxy. And I do see sometimes when the Canadian names rally, we get a kind of a you know, we, you know, we get, like, the positive effect here on the U.S. names. But, like, those are just two different markets. But the only reason I bring that up is those trade on the U.S. exchanges. So I'm hopeful we get the SAFE Act or something. I know that it's not explicit in that language that they will list on the exchanges if we do get it, but I believe that we will. And so I just got to be patient here. And I'm not in there to trade these things. I'm in there for the long haul. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that, the, that own, owning the quality and names that have cash – um, and names that don't need access to the markets to keep funding themselves are the ones that I would own. So,
0: I think we got Yanni in here, and I appreciate that, Toki. I'm going to call you Toki because I don't know what else to call you. But, Yanni, go ahead.
2: Hey, Guy, Dan, Danny, can you guys hear me?
0: Loud and clear, Junior, five-by-five, five, as they say.
2: Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me on and answering all of our questions today. i uh, a huge fan of all your guys' work. Uh, You guys were bringing up uh, last week the double top in Lockheed Martin, and I noticed something a little bit similar in MasterCard, ticker symbol MA, which I think goes well with the conversation you guys were having earlier about the consumer. Um, Had an all-time high back in April of 2021, just over $400. Uh, Just approached that level again on February 2nd a couple weeks ago, now back down in the 370s. Do you think uh, we could be looking at more weakness ahead, not only in the stock but maybe with the consumer as well? Is this just another tell, uh, like what you guys were talking about earlier? You know what? I
0: had I appreciate you bringing that up. I had not looked at it.
2: I did know that
0: MasterCard, I think recently it traded up to about what 397 in early February. Is, is that right ish? And it's obviously given some stuff back. What, what I find really interesting about MasterCard is you've seen moves like this literally dozens of times over the last year, and you're in the midst of another one. I think this is what I would say, Yanni. You're still in this uptrend from the December 1st low, I think of 3.05 or so. If you connect that low with subsequently the low we saw in January of this year, I think it was 3.40 or so. You're still in this pretty well-defined short-term uptrend, and I think even if it were to trade down to 3.60-ish, You'd still be in it, and we're close now at three sixty what six or three sixty nine, um, but you got to you got to keep a close eye on that. And I think Mastercard and Visa are great tells on the consumer because they basically just they are just a they process transactions. So if you start to see <laughs> slowing growth there, you can make that connection to the consumer. Danny, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, this was um, as I I know I joked before about text you know companies that are tech stocks that are really just Um, especially finance companies, this is the opposite. This was the dream for financial portfolio managers to own Visa and MasterCard because they knew that it had no credit risk. It's the best – it's a toll booth. It's the best um, business model of all time in history. And they're benefiting right now, um, obviously, from inflation. And so the more that people spend, they get a direct benefit from that. So without the credit risk, I do think for a period of time you saw the buy now, pay later group Steal a little bit of the thunder from the sector, and yeah, they're in it a little bit because they have to be to say that they're they have some type of buy now pay buy now pay later program. But I think that they're now going to suck back up the money that's going to flow out of that sector like a firm, which I believe will continue. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Mastercard and Visa. Yeah, looking, the, sorry, I, I
1: would just add one thing: <clears throat> if you're looking for double digit, and, and this is earnings and sales growth of probably expected about twenty percent this year, I, I mean, I know that, you know, 36 times, you know, um, seems expensive in a market where you're seeing multiples contract all over the place. Um, but that, that seems pretty reasonable. I, I, I know that, you know, we use that expression. You've seen, you know, Starbucks and Nike and these premium brands and these premium multiples, they, they, they contract a bit, but this one um, seems very interesting to me.
0: We got to uh, 5,000 here folks, because a, I think we have a call at one thirty. Dan. B, your voice sucks, but I just want to say that Porter yeah. Collins is here. For oh, those he is. that understand rowing, if you've ever gotten on a rowing machine and suffered, uh, Porter Collins is an Olympic rower, number one. He's also a badass, number two. He's also a brilliant, number three. got to get Porter on one
2: of these spaces.
0: Danny, thanks for sort of jumping in here. You You carried the weight as they say as you typically Not at all but I got to give a
2: shout out before you get off to my mother who called me yesterday at noon and says it was stuck in the snow in New York City and goes she goes I need something and if anyone wants to know where my gambling genes comes from it was my parents but she said I have this 23 to 20 rams in my head will you put it in for me and I swear on my life I put in a $50 bet for her that paid $3300 and certainly she called me like you know crying exuberant it was the best gambling of her life so anyway <laughs> so, I got, so, that
0: is amazing crazy. well on amazing. that
2: note danny yeah. and you and i gotta
1: settle up too because well I'm gold's about t- to ruin you too we'll oh, talk about that yeah. enough that no no that, yeah. that we'll okay. talk about that on fridays on the tape yeah. but um all right <laughs> well got we got to figure out we got to figure out how i settle up with you Um, Listen, join us today. Market call at 5 o'clock. Look at our Twitter. Uh, Guy and I are going to be doing it uh, 5 to 5.30. CBC's Fast Money is dark during the Olympics, so we're going to do our market call then. Uh, So tune in. Thanks for tuning into these trading spaces on Twitter Spaces. It was fun taking your questions. Uh, Danny, thanks for stopping in, buddy. You guys. Good luck with your
0: voice. Yeah, buddy. Bye.